0: This is Creative Banter, a creativity and philosophy-focused podcast, hosted by Cody Schultz and Ben Horn. This week, our conversation turns primarily toward that of constructive criticism, a topic brought up due to my experiences so far with student teaching and the desire I have to improve in the field. We discuss our openness to criticism and how that openness changes as we begin to gain confidence in our craft though that confidence can sometimes be misguided as we ponder our intentions and the idea of why we choose to photograph what we choose to photograph. As we end the conversation, we provide an update regarding screen time, which we had spoken about in episode 36, as well as speaking a bit on humanity, sparked by a book I am currently reading. Let's dive right in, shall we?
1: I imagine I've got my uh my cup of tea going here to get a little caffeine in me but uh it, I would imagine that uh, you've been through a lot more lately in terms of the early mornings and the all the everything associated with the uh, student teaching and such.
0: yeah, yeah it also doesn't help that right now the sun's starting to set so it's like it's starting yeah. to get darker as I'm trying to like and every day during the week I get home and it's it's dark already because like after the, after student teaching, I either go to, um, I'll go to the gym like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Mm -hmm. on Tuesdays I have what they call practicum, which is essentially like an hour long class where you just talk about different aspects of what you're learning through the teaching and that kind of deal. Um, Hmm. and that's a weekly thing. And then Thursdays, obviously most of these, I have like the recording with the podcast or whatever. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so days have been long, but it's been enjoyable. I can't say otherwise. I'm enjoying it a lot more than I thought that I would, which is good. Yeah,
1: that's good. Getting a a good real-world taste of of the full
0: experience. Yes. I mean, today was—today and there are other days, too, that are very trying days when it comes to certain uh, classes. uh, There's—my fifth-period class is very chaotic— and so it can be very difficult to get them on task and to like you know just shut up for a little while (laughs) so (laughs) yes uh, like today they were giving me some difficulty and my mentor teacher like stepped in to kind of like deal with classroom management because I was starting to like struggle a little bit with it um which I mean it's to be expected I've only been kind of starting to really have my voice heard more and start to take over more responsibility recently. um, A lot of what we're doing right now is co-teaching and everything. So it makes sense that my classroom management skills aren't like top notch kind of deal, but.
1: Yeah, that's going to be something that, that develops over, over quite a bit of time. I would imagine. I I don't think that's something people walk into that sort of job just already having that skill set and i mean he's been teaching for something like 15 years
0: now i think and even Mm -hmm. he struggles sometimes too To there's like as part of him being my mentor teacher he has to go through and essentially like grade me so to speak um not with like a letter grade but like Mm -hmm. are you meeting the requirements of being a professional teacher kind of deal and we are going over that this past Tuesday. And he was saying like, okay, yeah, you're, you're good with this. You could use a little bit more work with this, yada, yada, yada. But then there are also moments where he's like, yeah, this is something that you and I both could really work on. And even after him having been teaching for 15 years classroom management, I mean, it's always changing because the kids are always changing. So you always mm-hmm. have to adapt to – the environment around you plus each period is different so it all comes with time so I'm yeah. not that worried about it but it's one of those things of like it's it's very trying because it frustrates the hell out of you when they just won't listen and when they're just testing you like that I'm like yeah all right just
1: breathe and get through it but sounds like it's like having a classroom filled with cats <laughs> that's that's my own measure for for that um yeah i i can imagine how that would be would be difficult um so when it comes to in general when it comes to uh, like constructive criticism um how do you fare with constructive criticism like if if they're telling you like you know these are things to improve on do you do you soak that up do you imbue that um, or do you like, like, what's your response to, to that? Oh, I want as much of constructive criticism as I can get.
0: Absolutely. That's um, good. I want to hear from him as much as possible with this because I want to succeed with it. I want to make it into yeah. something that I really do enjoy doing, but that I also can be very well off with doing. Um, hmm One of the issues that I'm facing right now, and I'm hoping it's not an issue come the next few weeks and for the rest of this time, uh, my supervisor. So a college professor, part of this program has to come in and observe at least six uh, lessons that you administer and that you teach
1: over Mm. the course of you you get to choose which ones they come in for or is it just kind of surprise it's
0: not everything
1: it's not surprise, but it's not like yeah they
0: have to do it within a certain time frame so like we're about three weeks in he should have already come in by now um Mm -hmm. but his schedule is very hectic which is making it very difficult for him to find time to come in um which i have issues with but i'm not going to get into that right now because, yeah, yeah, that's just a very irritating situation nonetheless. Um, so that's a, that's one of the big things is, like, I really want him to come in. I wanted him to come in today and observe this lesson that I was co-teaching with my mentor. Um, because we had planned it out specifically with him in mind, with him coming in in mind. So when on Tuesday he was like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to. I'm kind of like, like, you got to work with me here. You know, yeah. Like you are, I'm supposed to be following this school's schedule and this school's curriculum and all of that. But then he's trying to make it diff. It's it's a whole mess. It's just irritating because like I want that feedback. I want to have that kind of that constructive criticism in order to improve. I don't just want to go by my what my mentor teacher is telling me, like because that's just one person. So, but. So now, it goes. I can
1: I can see how since since you're very new to this I I'm definitely of the mindset as well that that the constructive criticism is extremely important because it gives you that that sense of direction. But what about when it pertains to something that you're very knowledgeable about like like your photography? Do you, do you are you also as receptive to the constructive criticism the same way when you kind of already have a feeling for like an independent project you're working on, or would you see that as being not as wanted? <laughs> um, there's, I think there's a big
0: difference there. There's a big difference between getting constructive feedback on a skill versus an art or an art form. So like, when it com- obviously, I'm very receptive to criticism, to feedback when it comes to like, oh, if you do this this way, you may come out with this result. Like if you try this technique, you can probably get to this end result faster. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to criticizing, I don't know, oh, this photograph is too dark for xyz reason or whatever yeah that's that's a personal choice that i made and it's art is already so subjective so that i kind of stay away from that's also why like like i love nature photographers network i love everything that gets done over there and i Mm -hmm. i enjoy giving some kind of like constructive criticism here and there when i have the time to but i also don't put my work on the site a lot for that because like i said it's so subjective i like the work that i put out is pretty much how i want it at that moment in time um yeah which could be good in terms of sticking to your guns like that but on the other hand it could be really bad because that may be preventing you from growing so I'm kind of like a little bit in the middle, middle ground there when it comes to that kind of thing. How about you?
1: Yeah. I'm from the standpoint that when it comes to my own, um, like basically the, the, the photos that I shoot, they're completely for me. Uh. Um, and so I'm not. I'm honestly not looking to please anyone with the work. It's something that satisfies something within me. And I, I I can see how it'd be one thing if a person's growth was completely stagnated and they're not seeing any long-term growth at all. Um, and if they were unsatisfied with the work that they were creating. Um, but I think once you get to the point where you are satisfied with the work that you're creating and you still see that growth where you can look back at your work from you know five six years ago and be oh my stuff is better now than it was then I'm very much more wanting to just stay on that that natural learning curve um, and because I know that there's some some people who will um, like send their work to fellow photographers before releasing it because they really, yeah, they really want to have that, that criticism in, in order to like make it as good as possible. I have never felt the desire to do that for me. It's just, if I'm going to release something, it's on my own terms on my own timeline. And, and also I should mention that the images on my website, I'm continually kind of tweaking them a little bit. Like I might scroll through some of them. And then see a particular photo, I'm like, you know, there's something about this one I don't like quite as much anymore, so I'll tweak it, and then I'll just update it kind of silently, where everything kind of gets updated that way over time. Um, but I, I've never had the, the... I've never felt the need to sort of have other people view the work before I put it out there. Uh, I just don't know that I would gain much from that
0: see with my writing i'll do that or would would like to especially with something that's i may not be as knowledgeable about i Mm -hmm. would be more likely to send it off to someone not all the time and i haven't necessarily done it as well or as often in the past with certain essays that i've written as i should have uh, Mm -hmm. and i realize that more and more um i like to get feedback on it like A lot of the times I'll send it to just my girlfriend or to someone outside of our field. Mm -hmm. Someone who, like what they would consider a lay person, where they don't necessarily understand the terminology. They may not have the background information about the subjects I'm writing on. Because if they can understand it, then I'm good. Then I know that I've covered pretty much all of my bases in that then it can reach as many people as possible and can bring them into maybe some of my deeper writing written work. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to writing, I am more than welcome or more than open to constructive criticism for a lot of things. Um, because I know that I can prove a lot and I'm actively looking for that. It's more of a skill as I see it than it is an art form. Yeah. And I, and I think that's really where that that distinction is drawn but like you had said about um once you get to a certain point where you really know exactly what you want out of your photography out of your writing out of whatever there's a, there's a, a point where you start to really realize what you need from it and what you want to convey and how to convey it and after that point after you cross that line Constructive criticism is just kind of take it or leave it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of my, my view on that as well. Um, I don't know. I, I I think it's, it's just like, like, I don't know, maybe in some ways, like playing an instrument or something like that. Once, once you were able to just do things, you know, play it in a way that is effortless, that you achieve that you, you know, you achieve what you want to. And just as I was saying earlier, is, as as that that growth continues, um, I, I think that's that's a good thing. And I also wonder if there's something to be said about sort of the intro introvert versus extrovert mentality there too, um, in terms of perhaps introverts not really like they're just kind of know what they want. They're not really concern necessarily about what the greater perception of it is extroverts perhaps seeking um more feedback from the community and stuff and i mean i i don't know if there's some aspect to that as well um but yeah, yeah that be I interesting to look up i might have to
0: do that after we get finished recording this here we'll look into that uh yeah The difference between introversion and extroversion and if there is a true connection to one preferring constructive criticism versus the other. Because, I mean, I I get what you're saying, that there could be kind of introverts kind of want to say more to themselves and may not be as open to that kind of criticism for one reason or another versus extroverts constantly wanting to be around people, stereotypically at least, and
1: wanting to get to that kind of feedback yeah they perhaps value that that feedback and as part of the uh the the uh hive mind i don't know (laughs) (laughs) um but in uh in in other news i uh i recently returned from death valley um i spent six days there and it was it was a good trip um I, I had a little bit of the first day funk on the first day. Um, but I mostly got over that, you know, by time it was the, the second full day there. Um, and it was, it was interesting. I had some, um, every time I go to a place that I revisit for photography, there will at times be subjects that I photographed at one point, but it just didn't work out very well. Maybe the lighting wasn't great or. Something else was there was something about about it that just didn't didn't really work, and so I uh, I created a list of some of these areas to potentially revisit and try to rephotograph. And there's this one scene which was the uh, the final subject that I photographed on last year's trip. Um, it was kind of a scene at the base of a mountain where there was some kind of a, a rocky wash with some slopes going in different angles and stuff and 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 i photographed it uh in the morning when it was in indirect light and it was it was just the light wasn't all that great it was it was kind of flat and so i figured if i shoot that uh just after sunset in the and so basically the the slope i was photographing faces west um and so I figured if I photograph it after sunset, then you have a bit more dynamic light because you have the, the, the orange gradient low on the horizon, the blue sky above that. And you get this, it's kind of nice dimensional sort of light and, at twilight. So I figured I'd go back and I'd photograph that. And so on my, my first uh, full day, or actually my first day there, not full day, but my first day there, I, I revisited that location, I looked at it, I'm like, yeah, this would definitely look better at sunset. Yet I have zero desire whatsoever to photograph it again. Hmm. Um, and even though it was, it was just sitting there for the taking, I'm like, the, the conditions are great. It's not particularly windy. The, there's no clouds. So I'm going to have like that nice gradient on the on the horizon. But I just looked at it I'm like, I've already done this. I, I, it, I didn't do it well, but I've already done this. And I have no desire to photograph it. And so I, I kind of wandered around a bit and I found, I don't know, maybe 200 feet away. There was this large boulder um, that had kind of tumbled down the slope a little bit. It was set up against kind of a nice looking background. And the boulder is kind of like this white and reddish sort of color, and the surrounding landscape was kind of a more of a brownish. And there was this trail of like a little bits of rock that he had, had eroded from this boulder almost like the, like the trail of a comet that kind of like went down in the foreground. And I looked at that. I'm like, well, this is something I want to photograph. And so I set up a composition of that. And I have no clue how it turned out. It could be that's not great. Maybe it's okay. I don't know. But I had no desire to photograph something I had done before. But then there was something new. And I felt a strong connection to it. And I was trying to figure out, you know, what is it that, that's at play here? And I finally kind of came to the conclusion that with large format in particular, since there's so much effort that goes into, uh, setting up and then waiting for the subject, you know, that's a barrier that I will, that I will, um, cross if it's a subject I feel like I have a very strong connection to, um, But then if I return to that subject, I don't have that connection anymore because I'm kind of having a different mindset perhaps at the time. And so it was just interesting how I was able to find a subject not far from the one I thought I was going to shoot, yet I had no desire to shoot the one I went there to shoot. And so I know that we've spoken in the past about, um, you know, re-photographing scenes and, and. um you know, areas that are close to home, you have the ability to give it another try and reshoot it again. So they got me thinking a little bit about how your thoughts are when it comes to standing in your same footsteps and photographing the same scene you've already photographed and whether you still feel that degree of connection as you did the first time or whether you just feel like you're, like, what am I doing here kind of a thing.
0: I think it depends on the subject and how strong of a connection i felt to to that uh, composition to that subject to whatever um i have one photograph that's i've been trying to get on film i have it on digital but there's just like like we've talked about before that little disconnect where digital just doesn't feel right um yeah So I want to re-photograph it on film. But a few weeks back, we had talked about how I had gone to this local park and the uh, focusing bed was drifting because of of tilting the camera up. That was when I was photographing this. It's a a real simple scene. It's a telephone pole in a field. And Mm
1: -hmm.
0: how I have it on digital is there nice white puffy clouds in the background the sky is pretty dark Um, simplistic just nature themed but having a human element which is something that i've been experimenting more with recently but nonetheless i've tried photographing it then and not only did the focusing bed cause issues with it um, i also messed up with my development for somehow because that just happens randomly sometimes um and then i went back to that same area maybe two weeks ago something like that and i wanted to re-photograph it again to to try and get Mm -hmm. it but the clouds weren't right and i took the trail the opposite way that i had the two previous times that i'd been to this park ended up finding i think one or two other uh compositions that no idea whether they turned out right or not but to get back to the main point i still want to keep going back to this park and photographing this telephone pole until i get it right because something about it just keeps calling back to me but then there are times where i'll photograph a scene and okay it might not turn out right there's for that same day that i had messed up with the the telephone pole um there's also a little barn that has um just a random thick uh wire or some kind of metal piece coming out of the top of it and i had framed up a composition there and photographed that and again that was one that didn't turn out right because of development and the focusing issues um but I have no desire to go back and photograph that one. Like, I, mm-hmm. I didn't even try the last time that I was there. So for me, it really comes down to the pure connection and how strong of a connection to that subject that I have, regardless whether it makes sense to me, like on a conscious uh, standpoint. But yeah, yeah so I, and I'll gladly go back and keep going back because you never know what you're going to find. Like the next time that I go back, for all I know, this telephone pole could have a couple more wires hanging down than what it already does, or the wires that yeah. are hanging down could be fixed, and it could completely change it, and then at that point, I could just say, mm, it's not what I want. Like, it turns out that those wires and the dishevelment of it, the fact that nature was kind of starting to take it back, and then humanity brought it back to life, yeah, maybe that's not the story that I wanted to tell, so...
1: Yeah. You show up there and there's this brand new pole there and, yeah. you know, all shiny, clean, you know, that's, yeah, it definitely, uh, would not, uh, would not be quite the, uh, the same there. Um, and also, um, one of the things that we've spoken about in the past is the, uh, contemplative approach where I'll, I'll find a subject, I'll sit there and I'll wait, you know, three, four hours or whatever for the light to be good, take the photo and then go away from it and, you know, move on to whatever else. Um, but I was, I was thinking about how the fact that I spend that much time with a subject and kind of have all the memories of, of standing there and just, you know, waiting for the light. Maybe I'm listening to some podcasts or something while I'm out there. Um, but I, by the time I return to that location a second time, it just kind of feels like I've already done this. I already have, you know, every possible connection I could have to the subject is already, you know, I, I, I can't do anything more than that. I already have the the memories of standing here and, um, so yeah, it, it is, it's kind of an odd feeling. There are certain subjects where I definitely, um, where it's such a strong subject that I beat myself up over that I I messed it up for one reason or another. Those ones, I think I'm more inclined to go back and and shoot. But I think by and large, I, I think setting up my own tripod and my own tripod holes from a year earlier, it just, it feels a little bit, um, a little dissatisfying, but, but
0: at the same um, time but beyond like, that, I yeah. I always love those series and a couple different photographers. I'll see if I can find the link to the one that I'm thinking of right now. But oh like the
1: the same scene through the same different seasons or yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely those are love fascinating.
0: those. So I think in that because it is a story that you were telling. It's clearly a scene that means something to the photographer. Like that yeah. that I think is just fascinating to see but it's also so yeah, difficult to do ones. like to get yeah. that composition yeah, just get, right to get everything lined back mm-hmm. up like especially if you, it's you almost
1: have to start with like the winter scene or something like that like the most challenging one and then like all right let's try it in fall let's try it in spring and summer yeah i don't understand
0: how you're going to go from winter to fall but i'm sure you'll work that out
1: yeah mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> But yes. But I mean that's I mean that's one of the nice things like for me for having the property up north and really photographing that a lot. Um, I can kind of revisit those scenes and continue to re photograph them in that manner if I wanted to. But even then it's very difficult to do because it's not like it's easy to figure out where your tripod holes were. And even if you like put bright shiny rocks where you had your tripod set up it doesn't mean that they won't get kicked around or something won't happen to them. Yeah. So, I definitely um yeah, those are definitely great to to witness. Yeah.
1: Um and and some other stuff on the uh the Death Valley trip, I did the the written journal entries like I did on the trip to Zion and um I was able to uh to write more this time now that I know that the format can accept you know, more than a single page of writing. Yeah, I was just going to ask if you wrote and, more or not. Yeah. So I, usually at minimum it's two pages, um, some cases, three to four pages. Um, and my goal based on what I would learned from the, uh, time I did this in the fall is that I wanted to remain as, um, in the moment and as in the present tense as possible. Um, so because when I first did it, it was kind of more so just talking about the experience of the day, more so at the end of the day. Um, but in this case, I was hiking around with a journal with me and I would just be find myself, you know, uh, I, I went to a lot of canyons on this trip, a lot of canyons that I don't even see any names for. I just see them on the satellite maps and find ways of getting to them. So I'll, I'll be in these canyons all to myself. No, no human footprints other than my own. And I was just like, you know, sit down against the canyon wall and just kind of describe what's around me. And I think this was very beneficial for my approach because it really made me so much more aware of everything around me. Um, just trying to think of how to describe the sights and the sounds, and. Then I started noticing other things. Like I started, you know, in the morning there were some birds singing. It was a little bit at the distance at first, but then I I heard it again a little bit closer. I'm like, oh, that's that's a mockingbird. You know, it's like, you know, I I, I definitely recognize that call. And then I heard the uh, the call of a of a wren of some sort. I don't know that it's a canyon wren. I don't think they live there, but I think it's a close relative. Um, and the canyon wren is one of my favorite birds just because of the call that it makes. Um, but I heard that call in the background, and I'm like, oh, wow. You know, I start noticing all these little things. Um, and I think some of that really helped me to be more aware of my surroundings and to notice some of the more visual details that I may not have noticed in the past. Um, and also just stopping and taking time just to, to relax and just to take it all in. Um, and the other thing too, and this is something that has come up a lot in my past videos from Death Valley is I always find mylar balloons out there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I found just three on this trip. Usually I find more than that, but, um, on one of them, I'm hiking through one of these canyons. And then, you know, I was recording a video. I didn't even know the balloon was there, but I kind of about to go around the corner of this canyon and then there was a Mylar balloon. So I kind of reached down, pick it up through my pocket and keep going. Um, And then as it turns out, about 10 feet away from that was this interesting subject that I decided to photograph. Um, So it's like, I find a balloon, there's a cool subject. And then a little bit later on the trip, same thing. I found a cool subject and there's a balloon right next to it. So I don't know. I, I I think I think there's something to that uh, that landscape karma of, you know, you, you pick up some of that trash, it leaves you feeling a little bit better. You kind of more aware of your surroundings, and uh, so hopefully that led to some some decent photos. I will still want to get my film back. So are you continuing on with that project that you've been working on the past couple of years now? For the balloon one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still collecting all the balloons. I still have to figure out. Um, I, 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 might have enough to do it now. Um, whether it's just a, just a, probably a printed zine or something like that. Um, okay. but yeah, I, I think I probably have enough balloons for it. It could be a project that I pursued during like the summer months when things are a little bit quiet in terms of photographing them and then making a zine. Um, I think it's just a fascinating story of, you know, here these balloons are in the landscape that. You know, we're around happy occasions and now they're just abandoned trash out in the middle of nowhere wreaking havoc with the wildlife. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's something I, I definitely will work on during some of the quieter months ahead. Yeah, the balloons always
0: remind me there's a photograph from Chuck Kimmerly who he has a photograph titled Happy Trash. And it was <laughs> while he was in living in New York. It's on Staten Island. And it's just a uh, one of those like yellow smiley balloons,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: just in a wide landscape uh, of I don't know. It looks just like kind of like a beach kind of thing, great Mm -hmm. big sky and everything. The balloon is somewhat like tiny; it's minuscule in the landscape, but it immediately draws your eye. And I always just like I was saying earlier, I've become so much more fascinated with the human element in nature photographs or in, in nature in general um, yeah, and kind of finding that juxtaposition I and mean, I remember when I first started off with landscape photography I was so so against even photographing like churches like I'm not religious to any degree but I've always loved certain churches and the architectural aspect of them
1: mm-hmm.
0: but Anytime time that I'd ever like look at one and be like, oh, that'd make a cool photograph. I'd tell myself, no, no human element, nothing. Like, yeah, I want it as natural as possible. And so it's been fun to see that uh, that transition into a lot of the work that I do now that has at least traces of human elements in it. I mean, I'm rebuilding my website and continuing on that very slow process. But one of the galleries that I have is uh just called the human element because i have at least six if not ten photographs that all have traces of humanity in nature and the juxtaposition between them so it's going to be fascinating to see how my work progresses in that manner
1: yeah those those are oftentimes some of the more powerful images um i think especially for black and white um, where there's already kind of a, a storytelling sort of feel to it just based on the format. Um, but, you know, there's, there's so much story from whether it's something that is, you know, decaying in nature, whether it's something that's, you know, new built in the middle of something that was, you know, otherwise pristine. So there's, I, I think there's a strong aspect of, of story to that, which is certainly a very uh, powerful concept when it comes to photography. Yeah,
0: it definitely is. One of the other things that, actually, let's go back a couple weeks. So, a couple weeks ago, we had talked about screen time. And Mm -hmm. I had promised an update on that.
1: Okay, I'm curious.
0: I do believe it's time for that. Um, It's kind of a little unfair because, you know, I'm student teaching now. So, I'm like off my phone pretty much all day. So the comparison isn't uh, as the sound as it should be. But nonetheless, so about this time last month, my weekly average for screen time was roughly six hours or so. Um, I've knocked that down just about in half at this point. Um, Nice. Still not, like, fantastic, but... For someone who grew up in the technology age, that's kind of,
1: you know, expected, I guess, in a way. Um, so that that's the six hours spread over the full seven days, right? Yeah, that's the average. So it is roughly six hours a day. Oh, six hours a day.
0: Gotcha. Right, right. So that's the average of the whole week. Um, let me pull it up again, and I can actually run through and see what the actual I days I, I have
1: my phone up right now and so far for this week I'm at I'm at two hours sixteen minutes a day. Yeah,
0: so there were some days where like if I go back to that Wednesday, January twenty fifth, was uh about nine hours on my phone. Which is insane.
1: But then yeah. if I go to like today, an
0: hour and a half.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, for today, yeah. I, I'm an hour and 32 minutes. But also, I'm three hours ahead of you. So, I <laughs> will, by the time I get to your time, I, I will have uh, unfortunately surpassed that. Yeah, I'm at 125
0: right now. And yeah. trying to think of, yeah, yesterday was about three
1: hours. Yeah. Ha- have so. you noticed any differences? I mean, obviously, you've been busy with the new schedule and with the student teaching and such. But have, and also, what have you done to to make any changes the biggest
0: thing isn't going to be the student teaching obviously um i'm no longer sitting at my desk in front of my computer or just playing on my phone throughout the day um more so i'm you know teaching or at least i don't i can't just sit in the classroom on my phone throughout the day so that plays a big part but um Other than that, I mean, it's still, like I said, it's still not where I want it to be. I would like to really lower it. I still have not gotten rid of Reddit completely from my phone. Um, So that obviously plays a factor because at night, if I'm just passively watching a show or something, I'll start scrolling just absentmindedly through whatever I can find on my phone to scroll through or to to play the game that I had mentioned with, that I played with my cousin. Um, so there's that stuff. But for the most part, I mean, I think for cutting it pretty much in half from in a month's time is pretty, pretty decent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's it. You're making progress. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: yeah. But I mean, it's also given me more time for doing other things like reading which I've been trying to implement, at least, like, read a chapter a night. I'm currently reading a book by uh, John Green, which is The Anthropocene Reviewed, which is it's a collection of, of essays that he's written on various topics. So, like, last night I read about um, pretty much the, humans, the human time span, uh, lifespan, rather, Mm -hmm. So he talked about um, how if you take the whole lifespan of the Earth and you chunk it into a year, and this isn't like a novel idea. This has been talked about for decades now. But nonetheless, if you chunk it into a year, the first signs of life on Earth really don't come until like the end of February. And then if you bring it all the way out to December 31st at 1159, humanity has really only been around since like 1148 on December 31st. Yeah. And, and just to like, to read that and to, to sit back and think on that. And the fact that on the grand scheme of things, like we don't mean anything. And I keep going no. back to that idea again and again and again, because it's just such a reassuring thought. That it's like it doesn't sound like it's something that should be reassuring, you know? But it's one of those yeah. deals of like, if you realize the fact that a couple million years ago the oceans were 104 degrees Fahrenheit, and we're concerned that they're rising a couple degrees right now and sea levels rising, which I get it, yes, it's that's a big deal. That's terrible for us in the long in the long term and our survival in the long term, but for the Earth it doesn't mean anything
1: like, yeah, I I, th- I think, um, I mean, it, it, I will say it is impressive in a, um, in a bad way. How, how much damage we've done as a species in such an incredibly short period of time. Oh, absolutely. Though I will also say that, I mean, humans are, are rather resilient, but at the same time, the earth is more resilient um the reality is that so, we are
0: so worried about like an apocalypse happening like yeah. we talk about like the end of the world and all that kind of thing but first of all we are the apocalypse we're the ones that are yes, ultimately going to be are. getting rid of ourselves yeah. we're causing all of this damage that to the earth and the earth is just kind of like fighting back in a sense but at the end of the day too though it's not going to be the end of the world the world is going to go on for billions of years more unless we like blow it up or something, it's going to be the end of humanity
1: and that's it. And that's, and and unfortunately all those uh, wonderful creatures out there that are highly specialized for their existing, you know, habitat and and lifestyle and stuff. I think we'll, we'll, we'll unfortunately drag them, you know, many of them down with us. Like we already have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the at some point, it's it's at some point the Earth is just probably gonna shake us off its back and then you know start over. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I mean we've we've been around for what like two hundred
0: fifty thousand years, I think something yeah. like that was was the number. Compare that to some of the other animals that we have on this planet with us now, and that's nothing like that yeah. is absolutely nothing and it's just so fascinating to listen and and to
1: learn and and that's also one of the reasons why i love going to so many of the places that i visit because once you start to learn a bit more about the geology of these places it it puts things in a scale that first of all is is kind of impossible to comprehend But it does give so much more of a sense of of respect for the the timeline and how little, you know, how short of a time we've been here. Um, And just seeing how everything works, like um, some of these canyons in Death Valley, they're cutting into these mountains and the mountains are kind of uplifted at an angle. So as you're walking in the canyon, you're, you're basically walking through time as you're kind of going through all these different layers that are extended up at like a 45 degree angle. Um, and it's just absolutely fascinating to just go in those areas and just to get a different sense of appreciation for it. But then also you hear about the experiences of uh, people that go into space. I think it was William Shatner when he went up on one of the, the uh, uh, I, I forget the name of the, the Amazon uh, Blue, Blue Origins, I think is what it was Um, when he went up in that. And then, you know, you, you look at, at earth and then you turn and you look at the other way and he was saying, you know, you look at earth, you, you look at life, you look at, you know, and then you look towards space and it just is nothingness. And just, you know, one way is life. The other direction is death. And to think that everything as we know as a species and everyone who has ever existed has. Lived on this one little oasis out in space. Yeah, um, I can see how that would be a very moving experience to to see it in that from that vantage point, and have an even greater appreciation for where we actually are. You know, yet as a species here we are. You know, creating wars with other countries, <laughs> and yeah, you just the the humanity part of it is the uh, not the uh, not the greatest. I hope you enjoyed our creative banter. You can learn more about Cody's work by visiting his website, codyschultz.com. And you can find my work at benhorn.com. For further discussion, join us at patreon.com slash creative banter. It's a place where we can interact with you, the listener. And although we greatly appreciate those who contribute by joining a tier, discussions are open to everyone whether you're a pain member or not. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you around next time.